passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good morning, Crosswinds Church. If you're a visitor, uh, great to have you. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we're continuing in our studies uh, the questions that you guys asked that you want answers to. And this morning, we're going to look at what does the Bible say about angels? You know, when it comes to baseball, one of the teams I like is the Los Angeles Angels. And if you've been following them, you know they're not doing too well. They haven't won a World Series in 20 years. They could certainly use a little extra help. Well, in the fictional movie, Angels in the Outfield by Disney, the Los Angeles Angels actually do get a little help from literal angels, helping them catch the ball, pitch the ball, and hit home runs. While Angels in the Outfield is a fictional movie about angels helping a baseball team, behind that movie are some real serious questions. Like, what are angels actually like? And do they actually help us in this life? This morning, using the Bible as our guide, we're going to find out answers to those questions. We're going to break our study really into two big sections. The first section we're going to look at is just really trying to understand angels. And what does the Bible tell us about angels? The second part of our study, we're going to apply all that and see how did what we learn about angels, how can it be applied to our life today? So with that, let's begin. Uh, take your outlines out. And I have a definition of who what angels are on the very top of your outlines here. It's this. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. We learned last week that all the angels were created in the creation week, and there hasn't been any angels created since the creation week. But angels are like us in the sense that they have moral intelligence. They know the difference between right and wrong. They're also highly intelligent like us. The big difference is they don't have bodies like we do. Now, let's see how angel, God uses angels in the world. First major point here is this. What work do angels accomplish in this world? First thing we see is this. Angels bring messages from God to people. In fact, the Hebrew word for angel literally means messengers. And this is one of the most frequent ways God uses angels to bring messages from him to his people. For instance, God used an angel at the empty tomb to tell the woman, women that Jesus had indeed risen. We read this in Matthew 28, 5. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Now, in the Old Testament, angels also brought messages from God to people. In fact, we see that the angels were involved in the giving of God's law to Moses. They were God's messengers in that. Acts 7.53 says, You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. But angels are more than just God's messengers to us. Second thing we see is angels sing praise to God. We read this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This passage in Revelation tells us that around God, in the throne room, around God, angels are, angels are constantly singing and constantly worshiping in heaven. This is a sample of what they sung. Also, we see angels protect and serve us. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And then Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Here we see that God sends his angels to protect and to serve us. Now protect and serve, we always think of that as the policeman's motto. But here we see it's also the angel's motto. And God especially sends his angels to protect and serve Christians. If you've ever been driving down the road uh, late at night and you're struggling to stay awake and right before you go off the road you you hit a bump and all of a sudden it jolts you awake, that may have been a bump in the road. That may also have been an angel <laughs> nudging your car to wake you up and protect and protect you before you go off the road. Now angelic protection doesn't just mean that they will involve themselves occasionally in the physical world. Sometimes angels will actually speak to people in dreams. In fact, we see this when an angel spoke to Joseph in a dream. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. But angels don't just protect and serve us. God actually uses them sometimes to execute his judgment on people, not just to protect and serve people. Acts chapter 12, verse 23 says, Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. In this passage, King Herod was getting a little full of himself. He was looking at himself like he's actually God. So the real God of the universe deflated his ego, actually had an angel strike him dead. Now it's interesting to see. It says he was eaten by worms and died. The cause of his death ultimately was not the worms. It was the angel, the text says, that struck him dead, executing God's judgment. Incidentally, angels uh, don't just take down one person at a time, but sometimes they can take down more than one person at a time. They're very powerful in executing God's judgment. It says in 2 Kings 19.35, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And the people rose early in the morning. Behold, these were all dead bodies. Uh, that's impressive. 185,000 people killed by an angel in one night. They're very good at executing God's judgment. The other thing we see that angels do, according to scripture, is angels battle demonic forces. Daniel chapter 10 verse 13 tells us, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. 
But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now here an angel was given a message from God to bring to Daniel. But this angel ran into a delay. He ended up in a, a battle with a demon, a demon known as the Prince of Persia, which incidentally may mean that some demons are territorial and demons sort of hold an area. But here, uh, this angel who was given this message, who ended up in a battle with a demon, waited until angelic reinforcements arrived, which sort of freed him up to be able to, be able to deliver Daniel the message that God had sent. So while angels battle with demons, my, the favorite thing I think angels do, at least in my opinion, is this. Angels celebrate when sinners repent. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. It says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Anytime someone who is living in sin repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus and is born again, there is a party among the angels in heaven. They are celebrating. They are giving high fives. Now, as a church, we're all about reaching people with Jesus. We're all about leading people to repentance and to trust in Jesus as their Savior. So the angels in heaven celebrate, but not just the angels celebrate. We celebrate as well when people are born again. Last thing I want to tell you about that angels do, angels carry us home to heaven when we die. Now, the idea that angels escort people home to heaven, that was actually a well-established Jewish belief at the time of Jesus. Now, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable about two men when they die. One's known as the rich man, and the other is known as Lazarus, the, the poor man. And in that parable, Jesus says that when Lazarus goes home, He's carried there by angels. Well, this would have been Jesus' opportunity to correct what was the Jewish understanding of angels escorting people home to heaven when they die. But Jesus doesn't correct it. He actually reinforces it so that this seems to be what actually happens, that when Christians die, angels escort them home to be with Jesus. Luke chapter 16, verse 21 says this, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So that's a little sampling of how angels we see working in this world. Now let's talk about the different kinds of angels out there. And what I want you to understand is that when we talk about angels, it's not one size fits all, because there are definitely different types of angels. The first kind I'd like to introduce you to is known as the cherubim. Now, cherubim are extremely powerful angels. They're bodyguards, as it were, bodyguards of God's holiness around God's throne in heaven. These same kind of bodyguards of God's holiness also were commanded to guard the entrance to the gate of, gate of Eden and access to the tree of life. We see this in Genesis 3.24. And he drove out the man, 
and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You go a little further in the Old Testament, look at the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant, and you find that the Ark has two cherubim on it, with their wings extended over the center. Once again, cherubim being guardians of God's holiness, and it's said that God would meet with his people there in the center between the, the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25:22. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of God. Incidentally, the cherubim were also part of the uh, decorations in Solomon's temple. And as we learned last week, Satan originally was a cherubim. Jeremiah were, like we know, extremely powerful angels that were to be guardians of God's holiness. Now from cherubim, the other kind of angel I wanted to introduce you to is known as the seraphim. While cherubim, of, cherubim are guardians of God's holiness, the seraphim are essentially angelic worship leaders. Their task is to constantly worship God. Their name literally means to burn. And they're only mentioned in Isaiah 6, 2 through 7. I'm going to read that section so you can get an idea what they look like. Maybe not your typical looking angel. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what they sing all the time. Amazing angelic worship leaders. That brings us to a special kind of almost seraphim. These are called the living creatures kind of angels. They're only mentioned in Ezekiel and in Revelation, and they also are around God's throne in heaven. And as far as we can tell, there is only four of them. They also are constantly praising God in heaven. Let's read about them. It says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As you can see, these are not what you would think of as your typical looking angels, but yet this is how the Bible describes them. Another kind of angel, angel the Bible tells us about is known as the watcher. Here's an example from the Bible. Daniel chapter 4 verse 13. And I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Now, Watchers. This type of angel is only mentioned three times in the Bible. They're all mentioned in the, the book of Daniel. You can probably guess what their job is. 
their job is to watch what happens on earth and then to report it back to heaven. The reason I mention this type of angel is why they're sparsely mentioned in the Bible. If you ever end up reading intertestamental literature, uh, like First Enoch or Jubilees, or you're ever introduced to those, you'll see watchers mentioned all the time. Now, those intertestamental literature pieces are not biblical, but yet they borrow this idea of the watchers right out of Daniel. Last one I want to mention to you is this, the archangel. We read this in Revelation 12, 7 through 8. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. What this is beginning to give us a hint of is there is rank. There is order among the angels. Some are higher in power and might than others. And the very top angel is known as Michael, who is the archangel, the leader of the armies of heaven. Now, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, tells us he is one of the chief princes, which may mean there are other archangels out there, but we are not told any details about them. Paul sometimes will talk about dominions, rulers, and authorities in the New Testament. Once again, here he is hinting at the fact that demons, as well as angels, have rank, order, and different powers. Now you wonder about dominions, rulers, and authorities. What do those things mean? The scriptures don't break those down much, but we do know those are titles typically of Roman government authority structure. It's like we have a governor, and then we have a president, and then we also have, lower than that, we have like a city mayor, different ranks of order and power. The angelic world, both the demons and the angels, are organized in a very similar way. Well, that's a little bit of the background of what different kinds of angels are out there. But let me answer some common questions that people have about angels. What are common questions about angels? For instance, how many angels do we know by name? That's a good question. And it's a real simple answer. The answer is two. We know about Michael, who is the archangel, who is the leader of the armies of heaven. The only other angel we know by name is one named Gabriel. And Gabriel, we see him in the book of Daniel. But he also shows up, obviously, giving a message to Mary about the impending birth of Jesus and to Zechariah about the impending birth of John the Baptist. Those are the only two angels we know by name. How about this question? Are angels limited by space and time? The answer is yes. Even though angels are spiritual beings, they can only be at one place at one time. Only God can be everywhere at once because only God is omnipresent. What this means is that even though angels are spiritual beings, they have to travel just like you and me. We can see evidence of this, for instance, in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Another question is this. 
how many angels are there in the universe? The Bible doesn't give us a specific number, but it tells us there are a lot of them. All of the angels that are in existence were created in the creation week, as we said earlier, and in the Gospel of Luke, it says very clearly that angels do not die. It also says that angels do not procreate. So whatever the number of angels is, it has remained a static constant since creation itself. Now this is how the Bible describes the size of the angelic universe. Revelation 5, verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands. There's a lot. Now, as I was studying, I ran across some interesting um, information on this. In the Middle Ages, there was a guy named Albert the Great. And one of his big claims to fame is he said he figured out the number of angels that were in the universe. He claimed it was 399,920,004. How did he come up with that number? I have absolutely no idea. But I am sure it's probably not true. Now, another good question we run across is this. Do we have a guardian angel? This is a great question, and it depends what you mean by, do we have a guardian angel? Do we have angels that guard us and protect us? If that's what you mean by that question, then the answer clearly is yes. We already studied this, Psalm 91, verse 11. God sends his angels to guard us. But do we have one angel? assigned to one person for life to guard and protect them? The answer is maybe. We don't know. Now, the belief that there is one angel assigned to one person to guard them for life really started to grow out of the text of Luke chapter 18, verse 10, where it says this, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Apparently, these little children do have guardian angels. But was the angel assigned to those little children, assigned to them for life? I don't know. Was the angel assigned to those little children, assigned to them until they became an adult? Maybe. Did those angels rotate in eight-hour shifts? I don't know. The idea of the fact that we would have a guardian angel is also possibly reinforced by Acts chapter 12, verse 15, where it says this, They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept, say, and they kept saying, It is his angel. Now in this text, Peter had been released from prison by angels and he went to the house of Mary, and he's knocking at the door trying to come in. And people don't believe it's actually Peter at the, the gate. And they're saying, well, maybe it's his angel. Whatever the truth is, there's a long-standing belief that guardian angels assigned to one person for life, that idea has been around for years. But there's not actually a lot of biblical support of it. There is biblical support for the fact that God does guard us with his angels, but not a ton of support for one angel to 
one person for all of life. The next question here is this. Are angels more powerful than people? Well, the Bible tells us a lot about angels. It tells us that the cherubim are especially powerful, but it also tells us that all angels, no matter who they are, are powerful. Psalm 103 verse 20 says this, Bless the Lord, you, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. When your title on your resume is Mighty One, then chances are you're pretty powerful. And the Bible does definitively say that angels are much more powerful than human beings. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. That angels are clearly greater in might and power than we are. But here's where it gets interesting. While angels are greater in might and power than we are now, you know, it won't always be that way. That one day, Jesus will give us a much fuller installment of our salvation. We'll have our resurrection bodies. And in that time period, we will not be below the angels, but we will be above the angels. In fact, we will even participate in judging the angels. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3 says this, For do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Oh, we are so blessed by God to going from below the angels to above the angels. In one day, we will even be more powerful than they are. That brings me to another question. What is the angel of the Lord? Maybe you've heard that. So in the Old Testament, you constantly see references to the angel of the Lord. That's not an angel of the Lord. That's the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord appears to be very different from other angels out there because the angel of the Lord has the character qualities of God. In fact, the angel of the Lord is even called God. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord has a special focus on saving God's people and protecting God's people. But then when we get to the New Testament, the angel of the Lord seems to disappear. So where is this angel of the Lord that was so frequently acting in the Old Testament? Where did he go when he disappears into the New Testament? Well, I'll tell you what happened. The angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ acting to protect and save his people in the Old Testament. And then when you come to the New Testament, the angel of the Lord takes on a human body permanently forever. And what does Jesus do? He protects and saves his people in the New Testament in a much greater way than he ever could in the Old Testament times. By taking on a body, by dying in our place for our sins, now let me show you how the angel of the Lord is clearly God in the Old Testament. For instance, Genesis 22, 11 through 12 says this, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, Here I am. 
And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So it's the angel of the Lord that says, You fear God, you have not withheld your only son from me. The angel of the Lord clearly is God. Or Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. This is the burning bush. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So at this point, we've covered sort of the basic information, the background we need on angels. Now let's move to the second half of our message and get practical. What can we learn from our study about angels that helps us today? And here's the first thing I'd like to point out. What about angels show us God's love for us? This is the first thing we learned. We are created in God's image. Folks, angels are not. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is the reason human life is incredibly sacred. That we alone, human beings, in all of God's creation, are said to be endowed with created in God's image. Years ago, when I went hunting for the first time in Michigan to shoot my first deer, people kept telling me that I'd have a really hard time pulling the trigger and, and killing an animal. And quite honestly, I didn't. So I remembered my theology that in the Bible, and God gave to Noah the animals to use for food, to use for meat. Hey, God was okay with me pulling the trigger and having venison on the dinner table. But pulling the trigger on a human being would be totally different. As human beings alone are created in God's image. Now, what does it mean that we're created in God's image? I'm not going to spend any time on that right now, but I do want you to understand that by being created in God's image, we are more like God on this planet than anything else that is not created in God's image. And angels are also not created in God's image. Folks, we are more like God than angels themselves. In fact, we are so important to God God sends his angels to serve and protect us. Even though they're greater in might and power, he doesn't have us serving and protecting them. Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's what, how blessed we are that we are created in God's image, and they're not. Also, angels cannot bear children. We see this. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of heaven. Angels cannot bear children. And one of the greatest blessings of life, folks, isn't it family? Isn't it marriage? Isn't it having your children? Here on July 4th, on this holiday, isn't it the best if you have the privilege of their family being with you? 
Isn't that what makes the holiday so much fun and so great? Well, folks, angels don't have families. Angels don't bear children. And in this way, we are far more blessed than even the mightiest angels of God to experience the good gift of family, the good gift of children. But maybe most important of all, as we compare angels and ourselves, is this, that no angel will ever be saved. Hebrews 2.16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. God created two moral, highly intelligent beings. One with a body, that's us. And one set of beings without a body, that is angels. When one-third of the angels chose to sin, God chose to save none of them. Since the Bible says that angels cannot die, that meant that eventually God created a place called the Lake of Fire, which is where angels will spend all of eternity. Now, folks, no angel can say that God was being unjust. No angel can say that God was being unfair because they're just receiving a just response to their rebellion against their creator. But while no angel was saved, when we sinned, we sinned through Adam, we sinned through ourselves. God should justly have also sent us, all of us, to the lake of fire. And what's amazing is God had mercy on us at great incredible cost to him. His own son took on a human body to die in our place for our sin because God chose to love us and God chose to save us. Now, if God had chose to save none of us, that would have been completely just and completely fair. If God chose to save just five human beings through his son, that would have been amazing, amazing grace. If God chose to save a hundred human beings in all of history through his son, that would have been far more than humanity ever deserved. But the good news is God chose to save far more than just a hundred people through his son, Jesus. Look what it says he chose to save. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Folks, when we look at angels and we look at ourselves, we are far more blessed through Jesus Christ than angels ever were or ever will be. Now, what an amazing grace God has given to not save angels when they sinned, but to save us. This brings us to some more practical stuff. How are angels involved in our daily life? Well, the first thing we see is this. Angels are present in worship. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God in heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Folks, you may not see it this morning, but as you are in church singing praise and worship to Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, there are dozens, if not hundreds of angels who are in the worship center with you, singing along with you 
in praising Jesus Christ just as you are. Angels love to join us in singing praise to God. And that is what they've done for all of eternity and what they naturally do with us today. Second thing we see about angels and their involvement in our life today is that angels watch our obedience and our disobedience. 1 Timothy 5.21, it says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules. <clears throat> Paul is reminding young Timothy, Timothy, as you live your life, realize you're living your life and God is watching you live. You're living your life and Jesus is watching you live. But not only that, but the elect angels are also watching you. Folks, when we think we sin in secret and nobody else knows, in that same room as we sin in secret are maybe 25 angels watching and they are grieved. But when we do the right thing at great personal cost and nobody's there to celebrate with us, nobody's there to cheer us, nobody's there to encourage us, realize there's maybe 25 angels in that same room that are celebrating, that are cheering and are encouraging us in our faithfulness, in our walk to God. I think about uh, the old Newsboy song, Entertaining Angels by the Light of Our TV Screen. Remember that old song? I think it debuted in 1998. The idea that angels are watching what we watch on TV at night right there with us. The other thing we need to know is this. Angels may take on a human form to visit us. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That homeless person that comes up to you asking for food and you decide to give them a meal from McDonald's, do you realize that person may actually be an angel? that came to inspect and see what your life is like? That old lady in the grocery store at Hy-Vee who's struggling to pay for her food, so you decide to, to offer to pay for her food for her, that may not be an old lady. That may actually be an angel who's there to inspect and see what your life is like. In fact, in church on a Sunday morning, there's that person who comes in the door and who looks so lost and you're trying to be friendly with them and you're trying to introduce them to others and connect them, that may not be a person. That actually, the Bible says, may be an angel who's come to pay an inspection visit to us. Also, we see this. Angels deliver us from danger. Daniel chapter 6, verse 2. My God sent his angel and shut the, mount, the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. Or Acts chapter 5. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. That angels, today, they protect us from danger. As I was preaching about angels a few years ago, a, a woman came up to me after the service. and She said, I have to tell you a story. Her son, who had grown up in the church that I was pastoring at that time, had become a Marine who was serving in Afghanistan. And that week, the truck that they were driving, uh, her son and the other Marines, ran over an IED. 
and the device exploded. Some of the Marines were killed, others were injured, but her son, who was directly in the blast direction, was completely untouched by the shrapnel. And she said, you know, after hearing your message, seeing how angels have protected God's people in the Old Testament, I can't help but think, but maybe God answered my prayers for my son's protection in Iraq by sending an angel that protected him from the shrapnel of that blast. And folks, that may be exactly what happened, because that's how God uses his angels. Now, at the end here, I want to give you two quick cautions about angels. In what ways should we be cautious of angels? Number one, beware of false teaching that comes from angels. Galatians 1 verse 8 says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The Bible recognizes that since angels are so fascinating, the idea of angels are so captivating, that people have been, or sometimes will try to be, led astray by angels. And that fallen angels will sometimes masquerade as good angels to lead people astray. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life, of light. Knowing this, folks, what we just studied should protect every Christian from falling prey to the Mormon beliefs and the Mormon church. Because if you know anything about the background of the Mormon church, it's all about supposedly an angel named Moroni who came and gave Joseph Smith all the information he needed for the basis of Mormon teaching and Mormon doctrine. And as part of that teaching is that Jesus Christ really is no big deal. That's exactly what Paul warns against. Even if we or an angel should have from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And that's exactly what the angel Moroni did for Joseph Smith. He preached a gospel contrary to the one from the Bible. So do not be led astray. Also, angels should not be worshipped or sought after. The Bible tells us this. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Revelation 19.10 Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Here we see in Revelation, when John falls down at the face of an falls down before an angel, the angel says, Don't fall down to me. Don't worship me. Even though I may be powerful, I may be brilliant, the only one we are to worship is God Himself. Don't be led astray by angels. Now, folks, in the movie Angels in the Outfield, it was a fictional story about angels coming to help a baseball team catch balls, hit home runs, and pitch balls over the plate. That was a fictional story. But the factual story 
is that God does send his angels to love, protect, and serve us. The factual story is that even though angels are incredibly powerful and incredibly mighty, we are far more blessed through Jesus Christ than the angels ever were or ever will be. No angel will be saved, but we will be saved through Jesus Christ. Right now, we may be a little lower than the angels, but one day, because of Jesus Christ and the salvation he gives us that we do not deserve, we will be above the angels, and we will even participate in the judging of the angels. Are angels powerful? Are angels mighty? Yes, but they are there from God to serve those who are inheriting salvation. And one day, because of our amazing Jesus Christ, will be far more powerful than they are today because God is so incredibly good to us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your angels to protect, to serve us, for using your angels to give messages to your people, for using your angels in so many good ways. I thank you that we are far more blessed than the angels, that because of you, Jesus Christ, we'll be above the angels, we'll be more blessed than the angels, and even one day we'll participate in judging the angels. Thank you, Jesus, for the amazing salvation you have offered to us that you have never done for the angels. You are so incredibly good. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.